Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. The following is used with permission of the Columbia University Press. Hi, I'm Ethan Warren, and you're listening to Pod Thomas Anderson, a nine-part miniseries on the films of Paul Thomas Anderson, brought to you by One Heat Minute Productions. Every week, I'm bringing you excerpts from my book, The Cinema of Paul Thomas Anderson, American Apocrypha, now available wherever you order your books, as well as insights on Anderson and his work from critics, podcasters, actors, and more. This week I'll be discussing Anderson's sixth feature, The Master, with guests Josh Larson, Hannah Blechman, and Frank Felici. All book excerpts are used with permission of Columbia University Press. Described early and often as Paul Thomas Anderson's Scientology movie, The Master does borrow heavily from the life and times of L. Ron Hubbard, messiah to that fringe spiritual movement. More than a treatise on an organization seen by many as a predatory cult, however, Anderson reconfigures the framework of Hubbard's rise to guru status into the story of a mercurial relationship between two men drawn inexorably toward one another despite, or due to, their polar opposition. Following VJ Day, traumatized Navy veteran Freddie Quell, played by Joaquin Phoenix, struggles to reintegrate into society, repeatedly sabotaging his own efforts by his reliance on homemade liquors that can easily prove poisonous, though not if you drink it smart, he insists. There will be people on the outside who will not understand the condition you men have. Now upon your shoulders rests the responsibility of a post-war world. Smile. You can start a business, filling station, grocery, or hardware store. Get a few acres of land and raise some chickens. You have a break coming? Ten minutes. If the average civilian had been through the same stresses that you have been through, undoubtedly they too would have developed the same nervous condition. You must understand. You want to get the lake back. How did I get down here? You're acting aggressive because you're doing too much alcohol. What do you do? I am a writer, a doctor, a nuclear physicist, a theoretical philosopher. But above all, I am a man, just like you. <laughs> He's been writing all night. You seem to inspire something in him. What we will do now will urge you toward existence within a group, society or family. Good science, by definition, allows for more than one opinion. Otherwise, you merely have the will of one man, which is the basis of cult. And this is where we are at. To have to explain ourselves. For what? The only way to defend ourselves is to attack. You know, you should wake up, Val. Your father's speaking. You might learn something. He's making all this up as he goes along. You don't see that? I wonder how he got here and what he's after. Is it really all so easy that he just came across us? You are an everlasting spirit, Freddie. I don't believe you. You make this up. I you just I know you're trying to calm me down, but just say something that's true! Are you thoughtless in your remarks? Do your past failures bother you? Is your life a struggle? Is your behavior erratic? What are you running from? He's dangerous. And he will be our undoing if we continue to have him here. <laughs> 
not helping him, then it is we who have failed him. Perhaps he's past help. Or insane. At last, Freddy finds tenuous stability in the form of Lancaster Dodd, played by Philip Seymour Hoffman, leader of a nascent spiritual movement, The Cause, which purports to have scientifically identified methods of accessing memories from lives lived over the past trillions of years. The fact that this would exceed the scientifically accepted lifespan of the planet being of little concern to Dodd and his faithful. Dodd offers Freddy a sense of belonging, while Freddy offers Dodd his unusually potent liquor, but Freddy's erratic behavior proves a liability as the members of the cause traverse the nation, spreading their gospel and evading skeptics and prosecutors. Though Dodd mounts a final concerted effort to indoctrinate Freddy, his own inconsistent teachings prove too much for the younger man to place his faith in, and Freddy flees, resuming his itinerant lifestyle. Finally, after what seems to be a prophetic dream, Freddy travels to England for a final summit with Dodd. Rather than reconciling, however, the two find that their differences have become irreconcilable, and Freddy leaves once more, the only evidence of self-improvement after his dalliance with the cause being the coda that finds this perpetually sexually frustrated man finally achieving long-desired coitus with a woman he meets in a nearby pub. I think the Master is probably skeptical of belief, and I think it believes in it very strongly as well. Um, and I think this time through... Um, I sort of went in with the with the sort of dart of when people talk about this movie, they often say how they don't get it or it's obtuse or it's sort of, it's all these things. It sort of keeps you at arm's length. But I wonder if this idea of belief um, and like cultish belief is sometimes you can't believe the characters and you especially can't believe Dodd. And I think when people have that reaction of, oh, I'm not sure what's going on, I think it's quite a simple story. Um, but you can sort of really be taken in by these charlatans. You can start to believe them, um, and that's where you sort of get lost in it. And I think maybe that's these figures who who can convince you, even from across a movie theater and through a, a through a screen, to believe them, is a very, I think, interesting thing to the filmmakers uh, and a very treacherous slope. While audiences might have imagined that the Master would repeat the crossover success of There Will Be Blood, a logical leap given its analogous historical milieu and central masculine dyad, as well as the grand ambitions suggested by its use of 65mm film stock, a by then largely obsolete format associated with sweeping epics of yore, Anderson instead delivered a baffling, fragmentary work of implication and ellipsis. In her review of the film's Venice premiere, Ella Taylor described overhearing one audience member asking another, quote, so I guess that's an unfinished print, end quote, only to be shocked by the revelation that they had, in fact, watched Anderson's final cut. On release, the master proved even more unprofitable than Punch Drunk Love, grossing slightly more than $28 million against a reported budget of $32 million, a total on the high end for an Anderson project, though still meager by the standards of a release slate increasingly monopolized by blockbusters, and netting only three Academy Award nominations for Phoenix, Hoffman, and Amy Adams, who played Dodd's wife Peggy. Critics, whose tolerance for the unique and challenging had purportedly been a boon to Anderson a decade earlier with Punch Drunk Love, were left largely scratching their heads. Some were effusive. Peter Travers was willing to dub the film, quote, a new American classic, end quote, a sentiment echoed by Zan Brooks, who called it, quote, a ravishing, unashamedly old-school American classic, end quote. But some were damning. 
Callum Marsh claimed that this, quote, aspiring epic, end quote, was doomed by, quote, a lack of substance beneath its cool, well-composed aesthetic, end quote. And Deborah Ross found it, quote, so enigmatic and underwritten, end quote, that she, quote, felt rather shut out, end quote, to the point that the film struck her as, quote, rude, end quote. But virtually all were puzzled by what exactly they had seen. Quote, the master is beautiful and thought-provoking, wrote Katie Rich, quote, but it's also frustratingly inaccessible, end quote. Roger Ebert, heretofore an advocate for Anderson, complained that, quote, when I reach for it, my hand closes on air, end quote. Dana Stevens, quote, left the theater not entirely sure what the master was about, end quote, but hastened to add, quote, I can't wait to get back and see it again, end quote. So the master, to me, um, it's just something that like rattles around in the back of my head a lot. For probably eight or nine years, the like login screen of my computer has been that studio photograph of Philip Seymour Hoffman on the blue background, which is haunting, right? And as someone who's vaguely interested in cults and fringe religion and Scientology, being like a sicko Tom Cruise fan, this movie's take on that uh, is really interesting and humane and kind, which I really appreciate. And so I'm always sort of like thinking about when we talk about cults and like what what is a new religion, a lot of that I think comes back for me in The Master and I spin it around <laughs> a lot. The Master is a lot like Lancaster God, I guess, you know, he's he's what writer, doctor, nuclear physicist, that's that's just the start of it. Uh, the Master's many many things. There are so many interpretations you could bring to this movie. It's that dense. It's that ambitious. It's a Paul Thomas Anderson movie, right? So um, there are so many angles you could take on it. And one of the things really on my first viewing, but holds up in subsequent viewings for me, is that this seems to be partly a story, especially from the perspective of Freddie Quell, Joaquin Phoenix character, a story about the agony of belief. This is a guy who's deeply damaged. We get a sense that um, he suffered prior to serving in World War II, but that experience certainly did not help him in any way. And so he emerges from that, a man who's lost uh, and a man who wanders. And then when he meets Philip Seymour Hoffman's Lancaster Dodd, not immediately, but after a while, finds someone, maybe something that he can believe in. In the Master's first significant dialogue scene, a military officer debriefs Freddie Quell and his fellow recently returned veterans of World War II. As he prepares these men for the fact that their post-traumatic stress may be looked upon as a rather shameful condition by the general public, he reminds them that these nervous disorders are the natural and unavoidable result of the experiences they have withstood during their service. This, Anderson posits, is the American post-war condition an undeniable and most likely inescapable trauma born of an unimaginable anguish. It is not only Freddy and the other servicemen who feel the effects of this epochal upheaval. Any citizen cognizant of the inhuman horrors of the Holocaust and the atomic bomb has almost certainly been disabused of their pre-existing beliefs in the world's organizing principles. Confronted with the loss of faith in all you held sacred, what response could be more natural than catastrophic anxiety? What the officer debriefing Freddy does not do is prescribe any cure for this post-war distress. This is a diagnosis with no clear remedy. And any such widespread psychological breach, as Anderson goes on to illustrate, is one that a sufficiently charismatic spiritual leader would be uniquely primed to exploit. If you can offer clear-cut solutions for seemingly insurmountable agony, you are likely to have a devoted customer base for as long as you want, 
and in the case of the eventually beleaguered Lancaster Dodd, perhaps even longer. I do think it needed multiple viewings and some time to percolate. And I think the way I think about it now is definitely different than I did when I first saw it. That now that I have like a different relationship myself with the, like a fringe religion or like medieval Christianity, which is really like physical and palpable for this movie in my most recent watch yesterday, suddenly became about the relationship between body and spirit. And the break that's happening within our two main characters, the tenets of the cause and how um, both Freddie and Lancaster are trying to make those things real for themselves and not succeeding. <laughs> so like one of the there's the scene where Freddie like puts on the headphones and listens to the recording of like, here's what we're doing here. Here's what the cause is. And it seems to be so much about, we're not our bodies, we're our spirit, we're eternal, we're air, right? We're above the animal instinct of our bodies. Uh, but Freddie is entirely body. He has no greater aspiration than to like fuck and eat and enjoy his life. Um, and I think that like Lancaster is exactly the same. Thinks he's above it, thinks he has like reached this enlightened mystic state by leading this religious group but is still a guy who can be like swayed by a hand job and has like explosive, um, you know, outbursts that like pig fuck outburst, I think is like really key to that. The fight in the jail where they're both like Lancaster is trying to keep it in the place of like spiritualism and then caps that scene by like taking a piss, which is like such a period on the physical experience that these two men have, um, which ties them together that it's recognition of the self through the other, um, even though you like don't like that version of yourself necessarily, but you can't get rid of that person or that element of yourself, which is the, the physical body. Then it becomes about what does that mean to a, a guy like Freddie Quell, someone who has been so resistant to being mastered by anything in his life to now give into that. And we see how difficult that is. And for me, this stands in really for any experience of spiritual commitment and spiritual belief. It's a very general, universally spiritual movie in that way. I know some people might say, you know, There Will Be Blood is Paul Thomas Anderson's religious film because it's such an obvious narrative thread there. For me, that's always looked at religion as a tool, maybe this force of American history that needs to be considered. The master is something more personal. It's something more about spirituality and faith. And so we see Freddie wrestle with this. We see him wrestle with doubt for the first time, I think, when he begins to doubt Lancaster Dodd. When I wrote about this aspect of it, when the master first came out, I actually brought in an excerpt from Pope Benedict's writing, Introduction to Christianity, because it seemed to work so well side by side. He's writing about the believer knowing that he's constantly threatened by unbelief and yet the unbeliever has uh, faith as a temptation right it's a temptation and a threat to this permanently closed or mastered world that the unbeliever has that freddie quell thought he had so for both sides of that coin you know i think the phrase that's jumped out at me and connected with the master from what pope benedict wrote was there is no escape from the dilemma of being a man in the context of this struggle between belief and unbelief so you're either trying to get rid of, escape the uncertainty of belief, but then of course, the other side of that is um, 
the uncertainty of unbelief. So there's uncertainty in both directions, in belief and unbelief. And I think the master explores that in a really rich, deep, resonant way for me. We'll be right back after this quick break. Protect your dream home with American Family Insurance. And you can weather any storm. You'll also save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote. Find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Among God's selling points is the promise that the cause is compatible with all belief systems. Quote, you don't have to change your faith or leave the congregation you belong to, end quote, Freddie intones, sage-like during a radio broadcast promoting the so-called Universal Congress of the Cause. This is a faith that purports a devotion to freedom, so as much openness as possible must be promised, at least until the potential congregant is through the door. While probing Freddie's consciousness during their first processing session, a rapid-fire series of questions ranging from the quotidian to the cosmic, many of which must be answered while maintaining unblinking eye contact, Dodd touches briefly on the issue of a Christian God. Do you believe, he asks his newest recruit, that God will save you from your own ridiculousness? Freddie answers a quick and thoughtless no, but the question points towards Anderson's own ruminations on the role that religion plays in modern society. Quote, I think you get desperate, he said while promoting the master. Quote, and I think you get scared and you think, Lord, if you'll only just let me pass this test, I swear to you, I'll follow you, end quote. This is the core promise that he sees in scripture, something to, quote, help get people through their daily lives, end quote. Everyday existential anxiety is exactly the sort of ridiculousness from which Dodd suggests one might see God as potential savior. Not every faith promises a specific paradisical endpoint. What unites all belief systems is the offer of an alternative to viewing existence as an absurd condition. As interested as he may be in what makes faith appealing, though, Anderson's work is equally concerned with its consequences for both good and ill. In a world of churches, cults, and coincidences that border on the divine, the problems that draw you into the fold are less significant than the conclusions you might bring back out again. Though Anderson was raised Catholic, he characterizes his family as, quote, mid-grade Catholics, end quote, with his mother bringing the family to church primarily, quote, when things were not swinging her way, end quote. He claims to have developed an interest in the Bible only as he grew older and discovered the, quote, blood and guts stories, end quote. Pressed in 2019 to name a favorite Bible quote, he could answer only, quote, I like all the quotes in the Bible, end quote, admitting a moment later that he had virtually quoted Daniel Plainview's own tellingly vague answer to the same question. This generalized ambivalence likely accounts for the lack of Catholic imagery and ideology in his films, a clear contrast to a filmmaker like Martin Scorsese, whose career has been often devoted to earnest and open inquiry into his own faith. Instead, Anderson's career evinces a maintained mid-grade religious status, as his work provides the opportunity for a more generalized interrogation into the costs and benefits of belief. This urge to focus on bold-faced statements of values rather than investigating their implied details has hung with Anderson, even as he has receded from the public eye in the years-long gaps between films. When asked about the relationship between the cause and Dianetics in 2012, Anderson responded, quote, Isn't George Lucas the founder of a religion too? Absolutely he is. Ideas can take you anywhere. End quote. 
I think the relationship, I thought a lot about um, Michael Mann this time through and these sort of like dueling men and sort of what they bring out in each other and the sense that that sometimes there's only, it feels like you're being seen for the first time. And I'm not sure if a love story in quotes sort of does it justice. I think that's a, a really honest response and a really honest starting point. Um, but I think there is a really complicated, not unknowable feeling between the two of them. And I think they both sort of feel it instantly that Freddie understands that Dodd is faking it and Dodd knows that Freddie sees that. And they sort of tacitly agree to both perform the relationship they will in public and keep each other's secrets for the other one's sake. And that's moving and lovely and scary. And it's also, I mean, it's abusive, right? Like, I think that's, it's a loaded word and it gets thrown around perhaps too frequently nowadays or the sort of conflict is not abuse um, is a good thing to remember, but eventually, like eventually it turns into this abusive relationship. Um, and I feel like sometimes the movie is just that and it's how does Freddie get away from that eventually after falling into that sort of pas de deux. Freddie, stand in the middle of the room, please. Pick a spot over there, touch it, and describe it to me. Uh, just wood. Wall. Fine, fine. Walk to this window over here. Touch a spot on the window and describe it to me. The scene of sort of like training Freddie into the cause, the walking back and forth in the living room, um, which is like, can you tame the dog, right? Can you take something so, you know, just like, what's the word I'm looking for? Elemental sort of, right? And can you crush it into a place where it can exist in society and in your society and in your family structure? Um, like, Freddie is such like an attack dog. He takes that place on and to say like, can we make this dog into a person? <laughs> Uh, that scene always sticks out to me. And that Freddie is like willing to try it and then not willing to try it, willing to fake it. Um, and then genuinely gets sort of like brought into the fold for real in, in that through repetition. And <laughs> like, just sounds, seems awful. Wouldn't want to do it myself. I feel it's good. Turn them black. What color are my eyes? the i think my favorite part my favorite moment in the movie is it's like their first i think it's the first processing and it's the first time they sort of talk after meeting and after sort of doing a few of the motions and during the they're making cocktails freddie makes the cocktails and he gets to say how do you want to feel how do you like to feel i think it's the line and it's such a sort of startling moment of giving the ball to him. Um, and I think it sort of, it plants that seed for him eventually to drive away. But it's such a, it's such a great little slip in there. 
the scene in the desert of riding the motorcycle is one of the standout sequences, just visually and aesthetically. And I think it also taps into the idea of Freddy's spiritual struggle, where he is on this belief-unbelief trajectory. And it's interesting that Dodd places this as some sort of test. It's another one of his manipulations, if you want to take that perspective, of Freddy saying, pick out a point, go as fast as you can to it, Dodd assuming there will be some sort of awareness Freddy will experience that will support what Dodd wants him to believe. And it turns out, for my reading at least, to be the opposite. going very fast. Good boy. That's where in the process of this ride, Freddy embraces his unbelief, I guess, in a way. And this is the puzzle of the movie for me. It's not a straight line. Freddy Quell ends, begins in this position of only believing in himself, if anything, coming under the sway of Lancaster Dodd and believing in that, losing his faith. And this is the crucial moment where he just continues off into the horizon. He's free, he's broken away. But I think the question that's left with the viewer to the very end of the film, for me, is what has he broken away to? Is this a return to this masterless Freddy, which even Dodd, I think, rightly points out, no person can live without a master of some kind. Uh, so has he completely come back full circle to where he was at the beginning, um, which was not a healthy place, we know. Or is there somewhere new he has broken free to by going past that horizon, staying on that motorcycle even longer than Dodd could have anticipated? And in effect, leaving Dodd walking and wandering through his own desert now, maybe even in his own place of doubt. For most of us, or at least most of us inclined to listen to a One Heat Minute podcast, it can be hard to answer the question, what's your favorite movie? But for years now, my default answer tends to be The Master. It's hard to articulate why this movie compels me like that, but it comes down to the abstractions, the way it obscures its own meaning. It's not impenetrable, it's just a woozy, disorienting movie that you have to squint to make out. That's what makes it compelling enough to return to again and again, and in the bargain you get a pervasive feeling of aesthetic bliss, 
a drifting tapestry of sound and image that includes some of the most striking moments of Anderson's career. Over the course of this miniseries, I've batted around the term perfect. I described Boogie Nights as flawed but perfect, There Will Be Blood as maybe the greatest movie of all time, but The Master strikes me as a movie that may well be flawless, a gem without a crack or blemish. My dad, for the record, hates this movie, so it's all subjective. But I like to go by the Roger Ebert metric. What did this movie aim to be, and how close did it come? The Master aimed to be something singularly eerie, and it hit the mark, and it did so without blinking. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.